Good afternoon, Sam Mark Church and those who are with us online for the eight. I just want to make this very clear on, on why we're doing this series called Cash Money. I know it's kind of a funny name, but I just want to make it clear, especially as we have our last part, part three here of our series. Something you know in life, and we apply to every aspect of life, is that prevention is better than intervention. Prevention is better than intervention. So if cross-culturally, cross-time, a statistic that has been proven by many studies that the two biggest factors, or let me just focus on one of them for today, that one of the biggest factors in the top two that, that cause tension and arguments and pain and marriages and friendships and relationships and partnerships is money. Okay, you know this. So money causes so much stress and tension on a household basis, on an individual basis, uh, in every aspect of society and life. But imagine if we had a healthier view or maybe the original view of how we should look at cash money and the management of it. And our first part um, here on our series called Cash Money, the first part that we kind of talked about is do I view money as being a, men, a means to an end in which I am not the end? Do I view money as being a means to an end in which I'm not the end? Our natural reflex by default Money is for me, I make the money, I make the cash, this is for me. Maybe that way I don't feel so selfish or egotistical. You know what, I'll check a box and give a little bit here and there so I can kind of seem like a good person. But most of our default is it's all for me. It's all for me. Last week on part two, we asked this question. Do I have money or does money have me? Do I have money or does money have me? I'll apply this to your career. Does your career have you or do you have a career? Does it own us? So that's kind of where we've been and this is where we're going now as we wrap up our series, Cash Money. Something that is a pinnacle or, or a foundational uh, truth to the ancient church, to the first century Christian church, is the idea of mystery. Sometimes, a part of me growing up, every time I would hear, oh, that's a mystery, that's a mystery, I felt like that was a cop-out. That's a way to get away from answering uh, a question or to approach a subject intellectually or to approach it rationally. Oh, that's a mystery, that's a mystery, that's why we don't talk about it. But something that was foundational, that the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus, what they embraced is they owned up the idea of something being a mystery. Because what they understood the reality is that they were limited pursuing the unlimited. They understood they were bound by time, but they were pursuing one who was, who was not limited by time. You get this. We're always trying to find what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? What am I good at? All of these questions are spiritual in nature, and they're convicted by someone inside of us called the Holy Spirit. But that's a different subject for another time. But there is something inside of us always looking for something more, and we have to embrace the reality or the truth that there are mysteries to life that pertain to God or a divine being. So there are a lot of mysteries in, in, world, in, in this life. I mean, just as I mentioned, one thing, the idea of there being an uncreated being who put on skin, and his name is Jesus, the idea of, of, of the divine being in a body and being on, on planet Earth is... is is a mystery. How do we understand that? That's a mystery. And the list can go on and on. So there's a lot of mysteries to life, all right? But one thing that should not be a mystery is how to manage money or what's our healthy view of, of money or what's a divine view of money. That shouldn't be a mystery. What should not be a mystery is I, I, I have an income of X and I spend Y. 
Where does my money go? That should not be a mystery. Like if something is coming in, I should know where it's going. That should not be a mystery to li uh, in life. There's already enough mysteries. There's mysteries about coronavirus. Like there's enough mysteries in this world. We don't need to add any more when it comes to finances. The way that Jesus loved to communicate more than any other style is using parables, is painting a picture, is using an imagery to deliver a message because he knew how to appeal to his audience. Many of his parables had a direct connection to possessions, to finances, to cash. Why? Because we know that that's what pulls, it pulls at us. Let's face it, maybe you're just watching this or listening to this on the podcast just because it's called cash money. We're always pulled by, by maybe an article or a blog post of how to make more money, right? That pulls at us. So Jesus pulled at a subject that was already in our heart to use that subject to pull us to someone greater, to pull us for us to know our original design, for maybe for us to have clarity on our purpose. So one of the parables that Jesus gave kind of began this uh, in the gospel according to St. Matthew, who was a first eyewitness, somebody who actually came from a wealthy background, Matthew himself being um, in the department of taxes, being a tax collector himself, he was a wealthy guy. First eyewitness of Jesus, his life was changed after he decided, decided to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. And this is one of the parables that Jesus gave uh, in, math, in the 25th chapter of the gospel according to St. Matthew. He began like this. Jesus began his parable by, by, by saying this. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So we understand right from the get-go, Jesus is now giving another imagery, giving another parable. He's talking about a master who had wealth, he entrusted it to servants. So just to kind of give you a recap and paraphrase the rest of, the, of this parable, Jesus gave three individuals uh, s some items or some bags. He gave the first one five bags. He gave the second person two bags and, and the third person one bag. The one who had five bags took it and was able to like invest it and was able to get more. And the master was like, yeah, good job. Like I gave you some and you, and you were able to go further with it. And so the first two people were able to take the items that they received and were able to like multiply that, able to get more from what they originally got from the master. But one of them, the what he got from the master, he didn't do anything with it. And, and the master was kind of upset. So with every parable, there's always a divine figure and there's always a human figure in it. Where there's a God part and, and where we find ourselves in the parable. The entire focus of this parable was not who got five, who got two, who got one. It's not about that, and that's not fair. What, that, that's not the point of the parable. The point that Jesus was making is what they did with what they were entrusted with. It is what the servants did with what they were entrusted with. The focus is not the amount that they were asked to manage. It was about what they did with what they were called to manage. It wasn't about how much they got and how come he got this. That's not the, the, the point of the parable that Jesus was giving. It was, about, it was all about what they did with what they were, quote unquote, entrusted to manage. If I go to the bank or whatever, I'm not, as you can probably tell, I'm not good into investment and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not good with all the, the, the lingo uh, when it comes to, to, to financial management. But let's say like I want to, you know, get some stocks and I want to invest my money appropriately. And if I go sit with a financial advisor and says, hey, you know, I got some of this cash, but I want to invest it. You know, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm at a healthy position uh, for retirement. 
Let's say I go down. The financial advisor shouldn't be focusing on how much I put in for them to manage. Their focal point should be, okay, this is what Father Nathaniel is entrusting me to manage. What am I going to do with it in order for it to grow? He has entrusted me with his finances. What am I going to do to make sure that it secures his future? That should be the focal point of the financial advisor, not how much money I gave or how much zeros I add to the check for him to invest. That should not be the focal point. So the entire focus of what Jesus was trying to make with this parable is not how much we get, but how we manage what we have been entrusted with. The point that we all need to get as human beings, as being the image of the divine, is that our life does not belong to ourselves. Our life does not belong to ourselves. If we embrace that reality, have clarity on that, then everything follows through. That I've been entrusted with this marriage. What's my, how, am I, how am I called to manage what I've been entrusted with? I can say the same thing about my kids. I can say the same thing about my finances. That I need to understand I'm, I don't belong to myself. I belong to a bigger picture. I am put on this temporal world for a specific purpose and I'm entrusted with certain gifts and talents that I am called to give to others as a light because I am an image of the image, we'll get to that later, but I'm an image of the true light. I'm the image of God and I'm called to bring that to others. Like sometimes we kind of say them like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like fourth grade Sunday school. But do you understand that? Do you understand that you are in this world for a specific purpose? Do you understand that you are a beautiful reflection of God himself? One of the things that early Christians have been saying throughout the centuries, and we say till today, every time we pray the divine liturgy and our liturgical worship, we say these words. We say, Lord, manage our lives as deemed fit. Manage our lives as deemed fit. When we declare these words and we pray these words, what are we saying? Saying, Lord, manage our lives. What are we saying? Saying, you are the CEO. Our lives are in the palm of your hand. You manage our lives as you deemed fit. We're limited. You're unlimited. We're flawed. You are the definition of life. You are the fullness of life. But we come to God saying, Lord, manage our life as you seem fit. And, and we kind of paint this picture in our prayer by connecting this to, to, to agriculture, to, to connecting this to, to gardening, to planting. Where we say, Lord, just as we manage the plants, and there's a lot of factors that are out of our control, but we manage it in order for it to grow. Lord, manage our lives as you seem fit. If you want us to grow at this, like you, you manage our life as you deem fit. It is not up to us, but it is up to you. Let me say this, this statement, okay, this is more my opinion, okay? So, so this is more my opinion. I do not like to preach about tithing. I do not like to preach about tithing. And some of you are like, wait, isn't this all about, you know, Father Nature trying to get more money? Believe me, this is, I, don't, I don't like to talk. And those who are, are members of San Mark Church, please tell me how many times you've ever heard me talk about tithing. Do you know what's the problem with tithing? With, with, with me talking about tithing, which is an old Jewish thing. Jesus never talked about tithing, by the way, but th that's another subject for another time. Tithing is the idea that I have 100% of my cash and I give 10% to this organization, to this church, to this whatever, to this person. Tithing is I own 100% and I give 10%. 
I own 100% and I give 10%. Tithing is, is, is falling into the misconception that I own it all, that it's all for me, and I'm a good person, I have a good heart, that I give a little bit. That, is, that can't be any further from the truth. The whole idea of tithing is, is, is a good first step, but I need to get beyond that. That I am called to manage what I have been entrusted with. And we're going back to that parable. That I am called to manage what I have been entrusted with. You know, those who have been blessed financially and are, are very wealthy financially, I'm talking about finan financial wealth, if you're truly a manager and have a clear divine view of, of finances, of cash money, you shouldn't feel guilty. You should not feel guilty. Money managers don't feel guilty. Money managers don't feel guilty because they understand that the finances that they have, they have been entrusted with. They don't own it, that's not for them. They're not the means to the end. They understand that they have been called to manage it. It's not about the amount, but they have been entrusted to manage it. So they don't feel guilty. They know that it's not all for them. They understand they have that clear vision, that divine vision of cash money. Money managers don't feel guilty. They do feel responsible and accountable. They do understand that I have a mission, that I have been entrusted with this, I am responsible for this because I will be asked about this at the end. I can use this as a means to an end in which I am not the end and I will be accountable for what I have been entrusted with. Money managers don't feel guilty. They feel responsible and accountable. How you and I manage our money. Again, has nothing, I, I, it doesn't matter how much you make. It do, does not matter. Like th this, this is not for a certain bracket of people. This is for everyone. How you and I manage our money, how you manage your money says a lot about who you are and whose you are. How you manage your money says a lot about who you are and whose you are. If you belong to yourself, then yeah, then, then, then splurge, just go, go, always upgrade this, always accumulate this, always store up this, and yeah, it's all for you. If you belong, you only belong to yourself, and there's a beginning to an end to you, and that's it, and that's all that matters, yeah. And maybe you kind of cushion that up and say, oh, you know, it's for my kids, it's for my family, and it's all about you, 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 your, your family, your household, your whatever, if it's all about you, yeah, then you belong to yourself. Then that, that's your ideology, that's your theology. But how, if I manage my money, well, I know it's bigger than myself, that I am entrusted to manage this and to make a dynamic impact in this world with what I have been entrusted with. If I have clarity of that vision, then I understand there's more to life than just me. Then I know that I can make an eternal impact in this world that goes beyond my temporal presence in this world. Then I know that I don't belong to myself. How I manage my money says a lot about who I am and who I belong to. How you manage your money says a lot about who you are, uh, who, who you are and who you belong to. My prayer is that we can view cash money as managers, not owners. For us to view money as, as, as for us not owning it, it's all for me, but I can view it as a manager that I have entrusted with it. And then ultimately my master will ask me what I did with it. Apply this not only to finances, apply this to your gift, to your gifts, or what you're getting at. Is this just for you? Is your platform just for you? Are you called to bring a light to others? Maybe you are called to manage what you have been entrusted with. The eight is great. 
right? I, I hope you in, enjoy listening and attending the eight online. Kids at the eight program, which is our Sunday school program, that's great as well. Bible studies are great. All this stuff is great. But the centerpiece of, of early Christians that we know from, from the early decades of Christianity and the centerpiece that which still exists today for us being the, the first century church is not the eight, it's not sermons, it's not Sunday school. It is the divine liturgy. It is the Eucharist. The establishment of this mystical liturgical prayer is, is made very clear on the last night Jesus was on earth on, on Thursday night, the day before his crucifixion. He got together with his disciples and he says, Kate, th this is not just a meal. This is not just your, your regular traditional Jewish Passover. This is pointing to something bigger in a mystical way, transcending the limitations of what time and the elements that you see here. This is my body and this is my blood. Again, we might jump in a rational way. Is this cannibalism? Is this right? Is this wrong? No, but this is a mystery. And we embrace, we own that, that language of saying this is a mystery. If someone predicts their own death, overcomes death, and changes the course of world history, man, I go with whatever he says. If first eyewitnesses who were skeptics and recorded the life of Jesus, of the supernatural events he did, and he overcame the physics and reality of death himself, I go with whatever he says. If he says this is a mystery, I go, I, I, I'm all in. I'm all in. This is the centerpiece of us pursuing more to life than ourselves, the divine liturgy, or another way to look at it, it is the Eucharist. A central part, a central part of, of how the Eucharist works is not us just coming and, and just looking at a screen and just, just trying to pray and when is this over, this is boring, whatever the case might be. It's us offering elements to the divine liturgy for them to be transformed. It's us offering elements. So if you look historically, um, in, in the first few centuries, someone would bring the water, someone would bring the wine, someone would bring the bread, someone would bring a, a, a liturgy, whatever the case might be, everyone's bringing different items for them to come and celebrate this mystical uh, celebration, this divine liturgy. Actually, something very nice that um, our bishop here of our region of churches, his name is His Grace Bishop Yusuf, that he remembers as a kid that the person who was making the holy bread for liturgy, that he would take wheat, he would take uh, the items needed to make it. He would take the flour from different from different houses. He would take a little bit of flour from this house, knock next door, take a little bit of flour from the next house, and put it all together in order to make it. Because he wanted to capture the reality that us coming to celebrate together is not one or two people, but it is a communal celebration. There's a plural format of us coming to worship together as a body. Jesus made this clear in communal worship, liturgical prayer, and we still have that same reality today. So I love that that, that practice still exists up to now as us offering elements for them to be given to God and for them to be transformed. We don't come as passive consumers to the divine liturgy. We come to be active, dynamic, engaged members and us celebrating together. We all move toward the East, look toward the East and celebrating this all together. An ancient prayer, an ancient text that has been said from the early centuries till now is we say these words, we offer unto you what is yours for everything concerning everything and in everything that we come being limited being flawed we come and we offer unto you what is yours pause right there why is the church intentional about saying offer we offer unto you what is yours you 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 get this in life there's a difference between the word offer and there's a difference between the word give 
There's a difference between the word offer and there's a difference between the word give. When I offer something, I care less what is going to come back to me. If I offer something, I care less what is coming back to me. So when I offer something, I, I'm offering. If you decide to accept or decline, that's on you. Let's say you need a place to crash for the night. I'm gonna offer my guest bedroom. You're more than welcome to stay. It's up to you. If you wanna text me back and say, yeah, yeah, I'm about to come, or you say, no, no, that, that's on you. Like, I'm offering my place. If you wanna crash, that's on you. Like, that, but I'm offering it. But if I give, let's say I give money, or I give a check, that's a transactional. I'm, I'm expecting something back. So when I give something, there's a conscious or some conscious ex expectation that I'm going to receive something back. So I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just being petty and getting down to words, but I want you to understand why the church is so intentional throughout the centuries of, of really being intentional of saying the word offer, that we offer. We're not expecting something back. We're not saying, okay, look, see God, I gave money. I'm waiting for you to give something back. What's in it for me? That, that, you, you don't approach genuine relationships that way. What's in it for me? Hey, some people that approach marriage that way, well, you, you know what happens. If I'm looking at it as a transaction, what's in it for me? That has a dead end at some point. That will naturally implode at some point. What's in it for me? But I want to offer myself, not just from financial perspective, but I understand if I understand that I don't belong to myself and I belong to someone bigger and something bigger, that I am entrusted to make an eternal impact beyond my life in this temporal world, then I don't belong to myself. I offer what I have. So when we were, well, we're offering in the liturgical sense, in this ancient form of prayer, we're, yes, we're offering bread and wine. Yes, we're, we're offering, I'm, I'm offering my voice. I'm offering my being attentive. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm offering me being standing. I'm offering all of that. I'm offering that because I desire to be one with the one who is the fullness of life. I offer this for me to be one with him. I'm not giving something, expecting something in return. This is the pinnacle of divine love. This, this is what I'm aiming for. Do we all fall short? Yeah, 100%. But this is what I need to aim for. This divine original view of humanity, of how I need to view myself, because I know I don't belong to myself. I offer unto you what is yours. Now take this from a financial perspective. I offer unto you what is already yours. Like, yeah, we might say my money, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not getting stuck on just detailed as far as the wording of things. But when I say my money, it, it, you didn't make your own money. Who gave you your career? Who gave you your job? You have been entrusted with this. God has allowed certain doors to open for you to be where you are. But you have been entrusted to manage what you have been given. But it ultimately does not belong to you. Like, I, I, I'm in my house right now. Yes, it's fine for me to say my house. It's, I, I, I didn't build this. And let's say even I built it. I, I'm not the one who like grew the wood and, 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 and manufactured the nails. I, that's, I didn't, it's, it's not mine in the purest sense of that. So what, if, I, if I have this, this mindset and this heart set that I offer unto you what is already yours. Again, it's offering, not giving, not tithing. Tithing, all mine, I give a little bit. But offer, I offer it holistically. I offer unto you what is already yours. I do not belong to me. I offer because I already belong to you. I offer to you what is yours. I offer unto you, or we offer, there's a, there's a plural sense in this prayer. We offer unto you what is yours. 
for everything, concerning everything, and in everything. This is kind of lost in English, all right? The, the, again, these are ancient languages of how this is said and is still said in, in, in many original languages till, till today in many Orthodox churches. But the, let's capture the spirit of what we're saying. We offer, we being limited, being your children, we offer unto you what already belongs to you. We have been entrusted with things, including finances. We offer unto you what is yours for the entire healing and wholeness of the world. We offer unto you what is yours for everything concerning everything and in everything. When we come to partake of the one who is the fullness of life, we are designed for everything to be made whole. We are designed for everything to go back to its original divine design. That is our pursuit. So when we're, when we're praying this, we are offering unto you what is already yours for the wholeness and healing of myself and for the entire world, for everything concerning everything and in everything. Instead of us, us giving, if I'm using these elementary terms, if I'm just giving for the sake of checking a box or just because out of guilt or just out of an emotional response, yeah, okay, that might be a good first step, but that, that's not gonna take me far. I, my, our aim for myself, first and foremost, is for me to understand that I need to offer unto him what is already his. Man, I own nothing. My life is not my own. My finances are not my own. That I'm called here to be, to make an eternal dynamic impact in this world because I know there's a beginning to me and there's an end to me. But I can give, I can offer what I have been entrusted to manage because I know there's more to life than just me. There's an early Christian by the name of St. Gregory of Nyssa, right? They, they, uh, many early Christians were given the title of where they were from, right? So, so, so St. Gregory of Nyssa, which is an ancient city in modern-day Turkey. So he said these words in the year 375 AD. For you history buffs, actually, he's the brother of St. Basil. So St. Basil uh, is, is one of the authors of the liturgies that we use in the Coptic Orthodox Church. So he was his brother. So this is what St. Gregory said around the year 375 AD. Listen to these beautiful words. Let us offer ourselves. Let us offer ourselves the possession most precious to God and most fitting. What is more fitting for us other than for us to give back to him what belongs to him? We came from him. Let us offer ourselves the possession most precious to God and most fitting. Let us give back to the image who is made after the image. Let us pause right there and let's, let's, let's focus on the play on words here. That, that God put on skin who is the image of God the Father. So Jesus is the image of God the Father. We are made in that image. So we are made in the image of the image, if you're along, uh, going along with me. Another word for image is icon. We are the icon of Jesus, and Jesus is the icon of God the Father. Let us give back to the image, Jesus, who is made after the image, God the Father. Let us recognize our dignity. Do we really understand the dignity of who, for us to recognize our own dignity? If we understand who we are and whose we are, then we understand our dignity. Then we understand that I am an icon of the divine being himself. I am the light of Jesus in this temporal world. Let us recognize our dignity. Let us honor our archetype. If I am an, a, a type and I'm built in the image and likeness of, of, of God, he is the archetype. I am the type. He is the archetype. Let us honor 
not ourselves, not our finances, not who we are, not me. Let us honor the archetype from where I come from, the one where I'm made in the image and likeness of him. Let us honor our archetype. Let us know the power of the mystery. They owned that word in the early centuries, and we own it till now. Let us know the power of the mystery. What's the mystery? That an eternal being decided to come to be one with us, to walk with us, to show us life, to show us the fullness of life, for us to know our dignity, for us to know where we came from, to know that we are loved beyond belief, that we are called to be a light and impact and joy to this world because we are the icon of God himself. Let us know the power of this mystery, of who Jesus is, and that we are invited to abide in him in a mystical way at the Eucharistic table in this ancient liturgical form of prayer which, which Jesus established for us, which happens at the mystical table on that Thursday night, that we are called and invited to abide in him. What's the semantics of how this works? It's a mystery. But I'm invited to be one with him because I am an image of him. I am the icon of him. My life's not my own. I don't belong to myself. But I am called to be a manager of, and, 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 and manage what I have been entrusted with. And I offer what I have been given back to him. That's my view of cash money. This should be the view of not just our money, but of our lives. Let us bow our heads for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, our natural flawed reflex for myself and for many of us is me. This is for me. Everything is for me. My cash is for me. What's in it for me? What's my view of myself in front of other people? And this just leads us into a dark hole and we, we drift away from our creator, from the source of life himself. Lord, I pray that this series aligns myself and all of us for us to have a healthy divine view of cash money. Lord, this brings so much tension and puts a wedge in so many marriages and so many relationships and even tension within one person himself. But Lord, if we have a healthy view for us to offer first, for us to give first and to save and then use the rest for others, then we are able to find the fullness of life. We are able to have a healthy divine view of cash money. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys for attending the aid. If you missed any of the previous talks or any other series, make sure you check us out online and our podcast, St. Mark ATL.Church. Have a great day, everybody.